Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I'm Steve Letard, and welcome back to another episode of Letard on Location. For two and a half decades, I have traveled the country from racetrack to racetrack. I found a lot of great places and a lot of cool people, and this podcast is all connecting the two. And I am excited about today's location. I'm going to leave the, the guest a secret for a second, but we are at Seneca Lodge, basically at the base of the hill here in Watkins Glen. This place is an establishment. It's been around forever. It's been around from the 40s and 50s, became famous maybe in the 70s, 80s, 90s when it was Formula One and open-wheel racing. So if you come to a road course bar, you have to have a road course guy. So my guest today is none other than Boris Said. Boris, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, no problem. You're like a, you're like folklore around Watkins Glen. I mean, this is a big this is a big deal for you. You know, it's funny. Chase said something today. He goes, you know, I, I've never been so far away from home, but I feel like I'm in my backyard. And and I've always I'm not from New York. You know, I grew up in Connecticut. I live in California, but Watkins Glen was like my home track. I don't know why the people just took to me and the said heads. It all started here, and this bar, the Seneca Lodge. I don't, I don't know how many cup races I've done here, but every time after the cup race, I spend Sunday night here, and we have a good old time in this bar, and it's really cool. I've been here a few Friday and Saturday nights, and we are here, as Boris just mentioned, uh, on the evening after the big win by Chase Elliott's second win at Watkins Glen. That brings us to the Glen. Uh, so, Boris, before you get back into your driving, your history, and everybody knows, I mean, what are you, what are you up to here lately? Uh, I mean, I, I own a, two car dealerships with Rick Hendrick, someone you probably know. Yeah, I know that guy. Yep, and so uh, this year we Wait, just so you have dealerships and I don't. I'm going to have to talk to him about this. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> just ask him. Yeah, exactly. So, and this year we just finished a brand-new $25 million BMW facility, probably one of the nicest car dealers in the United States, I think. And uh, so that was a lot of work. And um, so I'm just really busy with that. And I also have a vodka company I started two years ago. I'm pretty involved in that, and that's starting to pick up a little momentum. And then my go-kart business, K1 Speed, is, you know, we're set and stale there. We have a 34 go-kart tracks in the country, and now we have about nine outside the country. So that keeps me pretty busy. I think there's a K1 Speed in Charlotte. Uh, yep. Concord, right Concord. over by the airport There's a new one. Yep. Now, those are all electronic? Are those electric carts? Electric go-karts indoor. Can you turn it up for a fat guy like me? Like, can, can I have a little yes, juice? Yes, yes, oh, yes. See, that's why I like yeah. about this. Yeah. That's what I like about if this. If you call ahead, because people have called ahead, and I've slowed people down. Yeah, there you go. Bad. All right, there you go. Maybe I'll bring Burton and uh, Dale Jr. out there. I'll have to get the, the quick one. So we're, we're here for a reason. As I said, it's folklore, but, but you are in the short list, in my mind, of some of the most famous, most well-recognized road course racers of the U.S. Um, road course racing, while it's big in the U.S., it's much bigger internationally. We've had success both in Europe and both here in the States. But so take, take me all the way back. How does Boris said, a guy from Connecticut who lives in California, I read the bio, your dad was a racer. My dad was a race car driver, but I never really knew that, you know, because he left home when I was six. You know, it was, you know, we grew up, you know, you know, welfare, food stamps, you know, mother working two jobs. I didn't really have uh, a whole lot of parental supervision when I was a little kid, and, and I was pretty much a wild guy. I mean, I was on a career path to federal prison, prison probably. You know, I was a bad kid, but 
when I was 14, I got a job in a motorcycle dealership, and those guys straightened me out. You know, they taught me to work, work ethic, and just worked, 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 so I didn't have time to get into trouble. Um, and then at 21, I became the youngest Honda Yamaha franchise dealer in the history of, of, of the company. But I, I wasn't old enough to have the credit line to get the, get the financing, you know, for, to finance the bikes. So a customer of mine who owned a Ford dealership, he, he actually became like a fake partner. And for doing that, I gave him free bikes for his kid. And uh, about a year into it, he goes, hey, I got this dealer trip to the Detroit Grand Prix, a car race. You should go. And I'm like, well, I don't want to go to a damn car race. That's boring. You know, I wouldn't even watch it on TV. I was a motorcycle guy, dirt bike, stuff like that. And he ended up talking me into it, and I went there to the Detroit Grand Prix, and that was the first time I ever saw a race car on a track. And, I mean, I was hooked right away. Like, I knew, like, I understood addiction that day because I was like, I got to do that. I mean, literally a week later, I went to a driving school, and I remember at the end of the school, I, like, I was all excited. I mean, I never drove a go-kart or anything. Right. I went to the Skip Barber School, drove these Formula cars around, and, at the end of the school, I'm like, hey, man, what do I do next? I want to be a race car driver. And he looks at me and goes, OSB. And I go, is that like a tape or a book? What is that? Right. And he goes, other sports beckon. <laughs> he goes, you're too old, you're too poor, and you don't have the talent. So you don't have anything going for you. That was my instructor, Mike Zemicki. <laughs> He's still doing the same thing today. But, but, I mean, I was just hooked from that point on. You know, I, I had to get in a car. And, you know, so I bought a showroom stock car. I went to a driving school and. Drove my car to the racetrack, and, and that's how it all started in 1986. That is awesome. Belle Isle, yeah. Detroit Grand Prix, yep. was still at Belle Isle at yep. the time. Ayrton Senna, this Black Lotus. I oh. remember seeing him, and I'm like, oh, my God, I want a Formula One car. You know, that's that's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I was ruined the same way, right? I, I don't have a memory. There's not a age that I can remember not being at a racetrack. I right. mean, it's just that that's all I did growing up. Um, unfortunately, I never had the talent. It didn't matter how hard I worked. I couldn't make my hands and feet do what the car needed to do. So I decided working on them was better. So you, so the instructor says you didn't have the talent. Well, you have a ton of talent. It can't be all hard work. I mean, something had to come naturally. Uh, I mean, I'm persistent. I don't know, you know, but I started getting That's a polite way quick. of saying stubborn for yeah, a lot of people. I'm very stubborn <laughs> and stupid. And, you know, now I started following racing. You right. Know, and, of course, you know, every time I turned a NASCAR race on, it was the black three, and that was like, my God, he's like my idol. You know, he was just such a badass, you know, and just the way he drove and the way he handled himself. I mean, I was just instantly a Dale Earnhardt, like, wow, that's how I want to be if I was a driver. You know, it's just it was really cool. I remember watching him. I was a huge fan. Well, that's interesting because we're going to get into Dale Earnhardt Jr. I um, I'll warn all my guests. You know, I ask all my friends, hey, do you have any good stories? And he sent me some Boris said ones. So we're going to get in those a little bit later. So so you buy an off the showroom car, you go to the racetrack. When did it really take off? You're selling bikes. You have a dealership. When did you say, I'm going to, like, I can do this. I can race cars for a living. Well, what I did was after the first year of doing a few races, I did a couple six-hour pro races alone myself. I drove the whole race. Oh, the whole six hours. Yeah, the whole six hours. And I got out and switched the tires around myself. <laughs> and, you know, I was just like, you know, everybody was, I was like a freak show. And then the next year, somebody offered to buy my dealership. And I go, you know what? I'm going to sell it. I'm going to take one year of racing in a pro class. And then I'll go back and open up a Harley-Davidson store. And I did that series called the Corvette Challenge in 1988, and I never looked back. I mean, from then on, I go, you know what? I want to do this for the rest of my life. And, man, lo and behold, 30 years went by like that, and I've gotten to drive some unbelievable cars all around the world and, you know, things I never thought I'd get to do. I mean, especially racing NASCAR. I mean, that was a, happened by accident. You know, I was never an oval guy. I never went to a short track. And. You know, lo and behold, I just kept stepping into these rides, and it was it was a lot of fun. 
So your accolades, I mean, it's a long list. You mentioned NASCAR. You're uh, a winner in NASCAR's top three series. Never found that cup win. I thought you had a couple coming. Xfinity, though, trucks you ran very well. Um, but I'm talking, I mean, let me go, what, Rolex, uh, Sebring, the Nurburgring. I mean, you've won basically everywhere. Let's talk about sports car racing before we get into the NASCAR world. Uh, so you talk about you kind of started there back in the 80s. But when did – the tr so when I see you and I look at sports cars, BMW, right? I mean, it's an instant connection. You've been in them for so long. When did that relationship start? What was the what was the launching period for the BMW? It started when they came back racing in '95. You know, they had to get a team together, and one of the guys they hired was a guy named Tom Milner to be the factory team, and that was a guy I met my first year racing when I was doing this Corvette Challenge series. And one time I was towing, you know, I, I was my one-man band. You know, I drove the truck, worked on the car, went to the races. I was coming back from St. Petersburg, and I pulled off the highway in West Virginia. And I went to this Ford dealer, and I was behind the dealership at, like, 1 in the morning. I hooked up my hose, and I was taking a shower. It was really hot. I had no air conditioning in my truck. And all of a sudden, the police roll up. And they go, hey, what are you doing? I go, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm yeah. taking a shower. <laughs> he goes, you can't do that here. You need to go down the road. And I literally... Went out of the parking lot, turned right, and the first parking lot I pulled in, I went behind the building and went to sleep. And that was Tom Milner's race shop. And he had a Corvette Challenge team. I was taking his old parts, his old tires that he was throwing out, you know, during the season. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, he wakes me up and goes, boy, what the hell are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing here? This is my shop. I'm like, holy crap. You know, it's just So a, you didn't know it was his when I you pulled in. I didn't know it was his shop. I pulled it in. And so I started bugging him. You know, he ran an IMSA GTP team. And I'm like, hey, man, you need to let me drive your car. You need to let me drive your car. And everyone I met back then, I, that's what I always said. Hey, man, let me drive your car. Right. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where when people saw me coming, they would turn and run. You know, he's going to ask me again. And so he actually gave me my big break and uh, hired me for BMW when they went racing. And then that just started my relationship with BMW and ended up with me having a dealership. That's been a kind of relationship. You guys, so for BMW, man, I don't want to short you now. Two-time, 24-hour winner? Yep. At Daytona? Yep. 12 hours of Sebring, which my friend at Ken Howes said is like 36 hours of Daytona? Yeah. Now, is that true? Tell me how much tougher Sebring is than Daytona. Sebring's tougher because the track in the old days, it's not like that anymore, but in the old days, it was bumpy. I right. Mean, it was so bumpy, it just beat the hell out of a car. So it was a tough race, and it was a sprint race, you know, Back then, in, in those days, Daytona was more, you'd start the race, and you were just really nice to the car for a while, and if you made it to the next day, then you're like, okay, do we got to run hard, or we got to not run hard? Right, when the sun came up. Right. Yeah. And if you broke early, you ran hard the rest of the time, mm -hmm. but for the most part, you would run easy, where now, it's a sprint race. You right. just run as hard as you can. And back then, you know, Sebring was really tough that way. It was tough on the car. Yeah, I, I was uh, fortunate enough to go down there one time. Um, it, it just—it's a different world. Talk about a part. People talk about Talladega. Yeah. I, I would challenge Sebring's party is right up there with Talladega's. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even think they need to have a race there, and those people are going to show up anyway. <laughs> That's it's right. Pretty wild scene. Right. It's pretty neat for American motorsport. So this is a track that I know nothing about, other than it's long and has a bazillion corners. Tell me about what it was like to go around the Nurburgring. So, so explain to the race fan the Nurburgring. So I think everyone listening knows Daytona. Sebring, if you don't know, Google it. It's great. It's down in Florida. It's an old air, uh, airport. Um, flat as can be, bumpy as can be, take me to the Nürburgring. Nürburgring is the exact opposite of all that. I mean, I, it was built in the 30s, you know, basically pre-Hitler. And it's 15 and a half miles around. And basically, we run the whole Formula One course, which is up to standard, very safe. Yep. But you turn on to Norchlife, which is a 12 and a half mile loop, right? They call it the Green Hell. 
and there's 175 turns. And the whole track basically is track, six feet of grass, and guardrail and trees. So there's no room for error. Any off is a big off. Right. And the elevation is it's crazy. You're going up and down mountains. And, and the weather's different on different parts of the track. So once a year they start this race, 24 hours in Nürburgring, 230 cars started the year I won. And the picture this, though, 230 cars, you're on a pit lane with 40 pits. So you got like eight guys to a pit. Right. I mean, just getting out of the pits in practice is a nightmare, you know, with that many people. And the classes, you know, the slower cars, we, we lap every three laps. And on average, you're passing 50 to 60 cars a lap when you're a fast car. So it is the most. That sounds it, like a it, mental it, test. It's, it is the, it's a mental test, physical test, and it's the best piece of road you could ever drive. I mean, three times a lap, you're airborne all four wheels off the ground. That's and amazing. So, and so when I heard about this, and I went and saw it when we were doing the race on the Formula One circuit. Yep. I'm like, I got to try that. I got to try that. And, you know, the BMW Motorsport guys, uh, you're an American. You can't do it. Right, you know, right. Uh, yep. This is just for Europeans. But my man, Hans Stuck, who was my teammate, talked him into letting me do it. You know, the first American to be in a factory deal. And the first year, I wrecked the car. Oh. I mean, I was gutted at 4 in the morning. I made a mistake passing the car. He turned in, dumpstered the thing. And I go, they are never going to have me back. Right, right. But right. they had me back. And the next year, we finished second. And the year after that, we won. So 100 and whatever corners, do they ever start to become recognizable? Like, how many laps does it take where you go, okay, I think I know what's coming? Uh, you have to because it's so blind. You know, it took me about 10 laps driving in a streetcar. Now, this track's open to the public during the week. So okay. you can pay right. $10 and drive a lap. And it's completely crazy. I mean, they kill 50 people a year on this track, mostly on motorcycles, some cars. But, yeah, you have to know every inch of it. And, and I kind of drive it like a rally. I watch rally on TV, and I'm talking to myself the whole time. I'm like, okay, don't cut the corner. A lot of bumps. You can be wide open to exit. And I'm yep. preparing myself for what's coming up, even even now. But, you know, I, I know it by the back of my hand, every corner. It's like I rally have. car racing in your both seats. Yeah. It's like you're giving directions yeah. to yourself. Because it's a it's a nine-minute nine lap. You know, it's a long lap. That just know? blows my mind. So uh, your racing career really spans so many different series. But staying in the sports car realm, give me the one race – you have so many accomplishments. What's the one? And it doesn't have to be a win. It's not a win for everybody. Ask right. us for all race car drivers. What's your one most proud sports car race? I, I would say it's winning the 2005 Nürburgring for two reasons. One, I was the first American to ever do it. Mm -hmm. And two, where it is, it's right by the Ardennes Forest where the Battle of the Bulge was. Yep. You know, so when I was up on that victory stand and you're thinking, you know, 60 years ago, you know, old Adolf Hitler, he'd roll over in his grave if he saw some kid from california with right. an afro winning on his track you know and the american flag was there and it that that to me i don't know why is the, is the proudest moment of my racing career what's the one that you want back what's the one sports car race that you say you know what mistake maybe just wasn't prepared maybe whatever what's the one you want to do again man you know sports car racing i don't have any regrets you know i could say that in nascar because you know, I won one time in trucks and one time in Nationwide. And yep. I, I wanted that cup win so bad. Mm. And I had, like, three legitimate chances where I could have won. And, you know, whether it was a mistake pitting or an engine blowing or a mistake by me or getting turned around by Robbie Gordon, you know, I, I didn't happen. So, but No offense, but that's a long list. If we talked about everybody that Robbie Gordon yeah, got into. Right. But that's the thing, and I really wanted it, you know. And, and I had some good competitive rides for a while. You know, the, the last few years I didn't have the car to do it, but, but – 
that's my only regret. But sports cars, I have nothing. So let's talk about your NASCAR career. So in the mid-'90s, NASCAR creates this third series, right? It was always Cup, named the second series. Bush, Xfinity, Nationwide, it has all these names. But in, the, in this peak, in the 90s, they said, you know, we need this new series. We're going to start racing trucks. And in, it, I don't think we were all smart enough then to realize what doors that perhaps opened. And I ask you because it started, right, in 95, running what was then the Craftsman Truck Series all the way back. Wasn't that the Irvin SEMO? We, yep. Which we're going to get into the whole no fear thing because I don't understand it. You're going to have to explain it. But this was for Irvin SEMO. Tell me about what truck racing was like in the 90s. Yeah, so, so you know, the, the no fear started to rise, and, you know, there's two twin brothers, you know, Mark and Brian. Brian was racing Trans Am. These are the SEMO, okay. right? So Brian SEMO is racing Trans Am. And Mark's like, I want to get in a NASCAR. I want to be a team owner. So he starts a team with Ernie Irvin. And he says, you know, you're going to help me manage it. You know, right. I was out there living, working, doing whatever, but I was working on my own racing career with BMW and Trans Am and stuff. But I'm like, yeah, I'll do. I'll help you out. You know, I want to meet Ernie Irvin. He seems like a cool guy. Right, yeah. So he started this team with Ernie, and they hired Joe Rutman, 95, and, and uh, you know, they won a championship, and it was it was pretty cool. And, you know, me and Ernie got to be good friends. He's like, why don't you ever try NASCAR? I'm like, I don't know anything about it. I mean, that's right. crazy. I, I was smart enough to know that it's completely different. So one time he goes, hey, we're going to do a test at Martinsville. I'm going to put you in the truck. I'm like, Okay. So he puts me in the truck, and I start driving some laps. You know, we're the only people there. And he's, like, trying to wave me in. We had no radio. He's trying to wave me in. I'm like, no way, man. I'm going to take some laps. Right. Might be my only shot. I right. got <laughs> Yeah. I was driving it like a sports car. On the brakes, on the gas. Rah, 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 All rah, right. Through the corners, right? Yeah. And Ernie actually got so mad, he went out in the track, and I come around one lap, and he's lying in the track. <laughs> so I had to stop. <laughs> and, and then he started teaching me about it, you know, about letting it roll and yep. doing this. And so – at the end of that year, I think it was 96, when Brian Refner was driving for him, he, uh, he goes, we're going to put you in a race. We're going to run a second truck, and it was at Louisville, Kentucky. And, man, I've, I've never been more tired in my life. I mean, I think I was using so much energy. I was so nervous. You know, right, right. Driving on this little oval. And I, I don't even remember where I finished, but I, I, beat, I remember I beat Brian Refner, which was pretty cool. And, uh, and it was a – well, I was just judging. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're going to give you. It's a gonna, cheap ad, right? cheap. Well, yeah. you know, you're, I think yeah. you signed the front of it. Someone has. Oh, yeah. But this place will get rolling later. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Listen, so just a reminder right where we're at. We're at Seneca Lodge. It's basically the base of the hill. Isn't that what you described? Yeah. If you come out of Watkins Glen, go down the hill, you can't miss it. Seneca Lodge has been around since the 40s and 50s. Uh, we're going to get into all the history here. But, I mean, I have been here many a Friday nights, many great a Saturday food, nights. Great people, good yep. drinks. Yeah, cold beer. Yeah. I'm always in for a cold beer. Yeah, so, you know, so that started in 97. He goes, hey, we're gonna, you're going to be our truck driver. So I did two seasons, you know, 97, 98. We got one win. You know, I had a little role where I got some top five in a second in Texas behind Ron Hornaday in the Oval and fourth at New Hampshire. And I was starting to figure out. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. So that, So you're a road course guy, a sports car guy. Yep. So your NASCAR road course career, which we're going to dig into, makes perfect sense to me. I could connect the dots. But Texas, I mean, you're talking, these are oval tracks with right. oval racers. Right. I mean, right. it was I, tough. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Louisville, I mean, Ron Hornaday and Mike Skinner, I mean, they were like the badasses. Right, right. And I remember after you qualify at Louisville, you had a park in the center. And I went right after Ron Hornaday, and I remember how scared, man, that guy. I, I just knew Days of Thunder, right? Yeah, right. Like, he's going to kick my ass, right? <laughs> and I pulled up behind him. He looks all mean and right, burly right. and scarred up. And 
he was the nicest guy. That's how they are. Yeah, couldn't believe it. You know, it was just never more wrong in my life, you know, that preconceived notion. And I got along really good with those guys, you know, most of them. Not, not, you know, I had a few incidents in, you know, 97 when I had a few paybacks. But Well, you but got it, to. It the was, race car drivers yeah, have to. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, so let's talk. So you won in the trucks at? Sears Point. So is that you consider that your home track? I mean, what was your home track? I consider Watkins Glen. I don't know why, just because I've awesome. raced here a lot. But yeah. It, 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 that's my home track. All right. So you won it at Sears Point. Uh, Topeka was another great road course. It was on the circuit for a while. Yep. Um, that was in the trucks. But then you, everybody wants to try it, right? Xfinity times here at the Glen. Yeah, what happened was Xfinity, I think a week before the Xfinity race here, Ron Fellows was supposed to drive for Jimmy Spencer. And I think at the last minute he bailed out to drive for Joe Nemechek because he thought it was a better ride. Yep, which he ran good in that 87. Yep. I mean, he yep. was fast. So Jimmy Spencer called me up, you know, and he was bitter. Yeah, oh, he yeah. Goes, I want you to drive my car. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I've never driven one. I'll try it. You know, I came up here, put it on the pole, awesome. and uh, he was happy, beat Ron. Yep. I spun out in turn one, come, you know, taking the green. Mm -hmm. I never forget. I spun out, and he's like, what happened? Something break? And I'm like, oh, I ran out of talent. Yeah, I broke track. Yeah, I was trying to be real careful not to get into him. Just right. spun out, right? Right. Came all the way back to like eighth or something, in the, and uh, we had an oiling issue or something. Took us out. But because of that performance, you know, that year, I guess he got a concussion in So what year was that? 98. Okay, 98. 98. So I was in the sport in 98, but I was a tire guy for Jeff Gordon. So, right. you know, but I remember, like, when you talk about you jumped on scene, when you sat on the pole here, it was like, now, wait a minute. Right, he's never even been in one. That's the fastest thing we've seen here. So that did turn heads. Right. Uh, yeah, so then in 98, I mean, I was actually on my way to a BMW race in Canada. I was in the Hartford Airport, and I get a call from this guy, Travis Carter. I mean, he is a southern oh, good yeah. old boy. Yep. He's talking to me. He said, yeah, Jimmy Spencer banged his noggin, and, you know, we need someone to relief drive and practice and qualify. And as he's talking to me, I'm walking over to the U.S. Air counter looking at flights to Charlotte, <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> He's like, you want to do it? I'm like, yep, I can be there by four today, <laughs> you know. <laughs> as soon as I hung up the phone, I mean, I bought a ticket. I called BMW and said, hey, can you find someone else to drive this week? And I got a chance to do this cup race. And he's like, yeah, no problem. And they were totally That's behind awesome. me. That's awesome. It was great. And off I went to Charlotte. And I remember I walked into his shop in Statesville, and he's just sitting there on a bench eating a quarter pounder with cheese. You know, he's like, you're that road race fellow. I'm like, yeah, nice to meet you. And he goes, Come on, let's go introduce you to Donnie Wingo, your crew chief. Yeah, right? oh, Wingo. So I go over there, and the car's on the plate, and he's like, uh, what kind of upper control arms you like? You like eight and a half, nine and a half, you know? And I'm like, right. uh, hey, just so you know, I, I've never driven one of these things. Yeah, right. right. I got no idea. He's Whatever like, oh, you want, Scott. Okay, I go, I'll tell you if it's tight or loose, maybe. Right. I, I have no idea. And then he said something about, what kind, what kind of caster do you like? I'm like. Got no idea again. Yeah, yeah. Just to remind you, I've never driven one of these. So <laughs> Revert back to the first conversation. Exactly. So they had no idea what they were getting into. The next day, we went over to Watkins Glen, and, and it, the funniest part of the story was, you know, everyone back then used to start practice running qualifying laps, yeah, taped right, up right. qualifying. And I go, hey, is there any way maybe I could just run untaped and run like 20 laps or something yeah, right. just to get used to it? And you're like, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll let you do that. So I'm running around. I'm probably like 38th or 40th on the board. And Travis Carter comes on the radio, and he's like, now, Boris, there's something you're leading the pack in. He goes, you got three times more laps than any of them boys. He goes, you ready to try some stickers? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? And we came in and put stickers on. I think we went like third or fourth. And then from that moment on, you know, and I qualified fifth that weekend, you know, I just became this road course guy. You know, it was crazy. 
my phone rang all the time and and that started my career and the first NASCAR race I did was here and after that it seemed like everybody knew my name uh what makes Watkins Glen so great I mean and and I say that half in jest and half not stock cars sports cars boot no boot it doesn't matter I've seen everything race around here and it's it's I've seen new road courses, older. Like, I guess that's my point. Is this one has been around for so long, yet continues to deliver with such yeah. great racing. The, the track races so good because it, it, if you're faster, you're going to pass the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's th- like in the short course, there's three really good places to pass. Yep. And if you're faster, you're going to get by. And like for stock cars, you know, Sonoma is so tight and technical, right, and right, forward right. bite, and yeah. you, you spin the tires, spin the tires, always managing it. This track, you can run as hard as you can the whole time. you got to manage your brake temperatures, but tires don't go off. So it just really works for stock cars, and it works for every kind of car because you can be so aggressive when you drive it, you know, and that, that, that makes the talent, you know, rise to the top like we saw today. You know, you see these two guys running away with it, and they were running qualifying laps every lap of the race. Uh, it was. It was like a heavyweight fight. Again, we're at Seneca Lodge at the base of the hill. So that's Watkins Glen. Tell me in the Seneca Lodge, like, Rough guess. How many nights have you spent here at the Seneca Lodge having a cold beer and, a, and some dinner? Well, man, over 100, I bet. I mean, this is uh, the place, right? Yeah, I mean, place, th- this was you know? shown to me. I want to say I might blame Ryan Pemberton for showing me this place. So that was, uh, I don't know, probably mid mid or early 2000s yeah, he finally I, took me here. I've been here with Ryan Pemberton when he was my crew chief early on in the Jasper days, you know, when we ran. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, we, our, our pass cross a lot, the uh, Ryan Pemberton to Jay Fry. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, a lot of different opportunities there. So you, you won the truck race at Sears Point. Where'd your Xfinity win come in? Uh, Montreal in 2005. Oh, the or, classic finish, I remember. Yeah. Max Pappas, Max right? Pappas. 2010. The, 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 so if anyone's never seen Montreal, has this. it's a great race course, but in the end it has, what do you call that, a kink, like a 90-degree yeah, kind of with a curb that's like the size of this table. And the straightaway is like 10 miles long. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm going down there thinking, don't screw it up. Don't overdrive it in. Don't give the race away. And I lifted that much early. And he went in that much too deep. And he was Max Pappas. Yeah. Which, and Mr. I, aggressive. I thought I gave it away. You know, he went by me, but I, I just got aggressive and got back under him. And we were drag racing in the flag. Mm-hmm. What you don't know is I had no radio for, like, the last 30 laps of the race. None. None. So no spotter, no anything. And I had no idea if I won or not. So we go through <laughs> the checker. I mean, it was so close. We're just staring at each other as we're drag racing in the line. And after the checker, I'm on the cool-off lap. You know, and I'm like, I wonder if I won. I have no idea. It was the longest cool-off lap of my life because I didn't want to be an idiot like Robbie Gordon and, and you know, yeah, yeah, pretend yeah. like I won and that, you didn't win, Yeah, that's right, right. right. you got to be the winner. I didn't want to be that guy. you got to win if you're so going to celebrate. I started thinking about it. I go, okay, if Max Pappas pulls in the pits, I might have won. If he stays out on the track, I finish second. So I'm just waiting, driving around, and he pulled in the pits. I'm like, ooh, that's a good sign. <laughs> So I, I stayed out on the front straightaway, but then just to be sure, I drove down on the pit wall. You still don't want to no, no burn up yet? No, not even waving out the window. I'm just, like, being real cool and calm. I, I pull up to the wall. I go, did we win this thing? And they're like, yes. I'm like, yes. <laughs> that is outstanding. That, that was a big night. It was a lot of fun for Robbie Robbie Benson. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you were driving for uh, Robbie Benton Motorsports? Yeah, Robbie Benton. Yeah, that was a, that was a cool day. Man, we could go on forever. Tell me about um, – so the one I remember – Tell me about the cup race at Daytona. So what year was that? Closing laps had to be? 2006, maybe? Yeah, I was going to yeah. say 2006. Um, 
maybe a little later, 2006 or seven. I think it might have been seven. July right. race at Daytona. I, I'm bad with the dates, but you know, I I own this building with Dale Jr. Right, yep. we bought this race shop. It used to be Jay Fry's MB2 Motorsports. Yes, it's in the Roush complex, and we were leasing it to No Fear for a while, but then they closed up their facility, and Jack Roush leased most of it. And he goes to me one day, because I was always teaching his road course guys and helping him out, and I raced Trans Am for Jack Roush. 2006, I checked. You're smarter yep. than me. I okay. had you in seven. So 2006. And, and, and then uh, Jack Roush goes, why don't you start a team? I'm like, what do I know about it? You know, I don't have Just the Just so you know, that you said, that's about yeah. the sixth time you said that in yeah. this thing. You seem to know more than you give yourself credit yeah. for. So he goes, hey, look, you, get, you start a little team, get some money together, and I'll help you. I'll give you the black book. I'll give you our setups. Everything. Yeah. Great. So that Daytona car, so me and Frankie Stoddard got together, and we started a little deal. You know, we had a few people. You know, yeah. It was very small. And Jack Rouse goes, ah, I got this old Speedway car. And, you know, Frankie cheated that thing up and made it really fast. Yeah. And we sat on the pole because back then, you know, there were the go-or-go-homers. And it was an impound race. Yep. Right. So, really, the guys going for the pole were the guys trying to make the race. Yeah. So, you know, we were a full qualifying setup where you guys were in full race setup. Yeah, exactly. So we were on the pole. But – Literally, we had to make pit stops. We changed the oil one pit stop. We right, changed right. the shocks one pit stop. We changed the sway. We were changing stuff every time, and we were just in the back changing. And with like 15, 20 to go, there was a caution. Frankie goes, "Let's stay out, see what happens." You know, an old tire. Yeah, right. And back then, I mean, it wasn't just wide open. Yeah, this was, wasn't the repaved Daytona. Wasn't this repaved, was bumpy, yeah. worn out, handling yeah, matters. You had to lift a little bit. Yeah. And so I was just like, you know what? On this restart, I don't care if I wreck. I'm going to hold it wide open. I don't care how bad I slide. I'm going to win this thing, you know. And, and I led for 10 of the last 12 laps. And I still go through my head every day. Going down to turn three, it was me, Tony Stewart, and the Bush brothers. And Tony Stewart had the car all night that right, night. Right, yeah, yeah. He went high, so I went high to block him. And then as I went high, I saw the Bush brothers go low. So I, I'm like, oh, I went low. We'll hang Tony out. And when I went low in front of them, they went high. Mm. Boom, I got hung out. So it was just one of those split decisions. I Still looking back, I made the right choice, I think. Yeah, right, right. It's I finished fourth. And I'm telling you, that night when Tony Stewart was doing donuts in the grass, I almost went and did donuts. I mean, I felt like I won. I mean, that was a big accomplishment. It was really cool for our little team. Hey, listen, this is so. let's talk about your fan base real quick. So when I think of, this is going to sound silly, of all the accomplishments you had, I'll never forget. The set heads. <laughs> the wigs come out. I mean, the fans love. Why do the fans love I, you? I don't know. Like, I, I'll tell you a story. Like, it used to creep me out a little bit in the beginning because I'm like, you know, Dale Jr.'s got all these girls are waving yeah, yeah, at him, yeah. Jeff Gordon. I got a bunch of 40-year-old guys that put wigs on <laughs> chant my name. But then I was thinking about, like, if I was a fan, I'd be a Dale Jr. fan, but I would do the same thing. I mean, they're just guys having fun, and I, I don't know how it started, but it, it, it got it got pretty big, and – I don't know if I'd be my fan. I mean, but but it was it was you know I mean it, it was still pretty cool. I don't know. I think everybody loves the everyday guy, yeah. everyday guy. So I was asking around about you. Everybody's in Dale Jr. You just brought him up. I said, hey man, give me a Boris story. And the first thing he said is, every time I was slow, I would go to Boris and he would tell me how I should drive it and everything in his car for a setup. And he said, who does that? Like who helps a guy out like that? So for a guy who's trying to make a name for himself, right? Like when Dale Jr. comes and sees you and says, hey, man, help me out. What, like what is the reasoning to, to just help a guy like that? I mean, because I was always looking at the long game, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I want to learn ovals someday. So if I help a guy out on a road course and he beats me, so be it. 
Well, I mean, you had to uh, feel – I'm going to pick on my buddy yeah. Dale here. You had to think, I think I can outdrive him, right? If I give him the same equipment, I'm going to outrun him. Well, I don't always hope that, but that's just the way I always was. You know, I didn't, I didn't care. I mean, and I really liked him. You know, how that all started was I was never a teacher, right? And one day the Wood Brothers called me up, and this is really before I ever drove a cup car. I mean, maybe I, it was right after Watkins Glen. Where everybody saw you were fast. You were right. the guy, right? So Eddie Wood calls me up. He goes, hey, Boris, you want to come up and teach Elliot Sadler how to drive a road course at Sears Point? I'm like, oh, I'm not really a teacher, you know. Right. Not, that's not my thing. He goes, I go, what are you thinking? He goes, well, I'm going to bring two cars up and do some lead follow. And I'm like, oh, so I get to drive a car for two days? He yeah. goes, yeah. I go, yeah, I'll do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not riding I'm with it. Okay, yeah. So we spent two days up there, and Elliot's a great guy. I mean, the Wood great Brothers guy. are fantastic. Had a few times, a lot of second to first and a yeah, lot of third to seconds. It's different for him. Yeah. But after, you know, Eddie Wood's like, so, Boris, what do we owe you? I'm like, I don't know. Nothing. Yeah, yeah right. I had a great time. You paid for my expenses. That's I had good. a blast. You, you owe me a favor. I had a blast. No, no, I got to pay you. What What do you want? I go, it's really nothing. I'm yeah. good. And like 10 days later, I got a check in the mail that was probably the biggest check I got from racing to date. And I'm just <laughs> like, holy crap. You know, this is awesome. Professor Boris right. is in the I'm house. Like, okay. Yeah, I right. had a blast. Yeah. But then what he did, he must have talked to everybody in the paddock because my phone started ringing. Really? And, and I just started doing it. And for me, it was so cool because I really learned how the cars worked. And I learned how all the different teams worked and stuff like that. And so I get a call from DEI one day at Ty Norris. He goes, yeah, Senior wants you to go teach Dale Jr. to drive at Sears Point. And I'm thinking, yeah, why doesn't Dale Sr. call me? No. <laughs> but I didn't. So I, I go up there. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I didn't know Dale Jr. I figured, ah, some rich, spoiled kid, right? Right, right. What do I know? And I go there, and they're Uri, you know, Tony Uri, his senior and junior. Oh, were boy. There. And I felt like Tom Cruise in the movie because they, they weren't even, like, looking at me. It was in the morning. They're getting the car ready. I'm like, yep. I don't think they want me here. <laughs> you know? And then this guy, helicopters or engine guy, goes, oh, I go, yeah, I don't think they want me here. And he goes, oh, no, they'll be all right. I go, where's Dale Jr.? He's in the trailer. So I go in the trailer and meet him, and, man, we hit it off. Like, I, I, my preconceived notion of him was all wrong. I mean, he was just down to earth, regular, got along great right from the start. And it wasn't until I got in the car and went, like, four seconds faster than him, and all of a sudden the Uries were like, oh, oh hey, oh, hey, hey. Good guy. Hey, let's go to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I get something from this guy. Oh. And, then, and then I just kind of was accepted, and, and then it just started. You know, I was working for all kinds of teams. That yeah. is outstanding. Um, you mentioned some run-ins. I'm going to pick you out on this one because this might be the best quote I've ever heard. I think it was Greg Biffle <laughs> that you basically had your run, and the details don't matter, but the quote was, someone tell me where he lives, and I'll be there on Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, is that like the, in, in your, all your careers, that's like the most famous? What, what, give me a good – give me the one that you're proud of and the one that you say, man, I was probably in the wrong because we've all had them. Right. I was proud of that one. Yeah. Like, he did me wrong. and I, So, so set the stage. How did mad. it go down? Well, for some you reason. You get the mic. He's not here. So yeah. it's your story. For some reason, he was mad at me, right? I, I'm, at, we're at Sears Point. I mean, uh, Watkins Glen, and we had to replace a battery under yellow. So I'm trying to catch up to the pack, and he's just lollygagging around. He's not letting me buy. Like, he's just, I haven't even seen him all day. Yeah, right. And he's mad at him. So on the radio, the spotters are going crazy. I'm going crazy. Right, Everybody's right, going right. crazy. You know how that is, right? And it goes green, I get by him. And now i got to catch up to the pack. And I'm like, you tell this spotter, that son of a bitch, after the race, I'm going to come up there, I'm coming in his trailer, I'm going to have my arms down, and he can take the first shot, and then I'm going to kick his ass, right? <laughs> and the mistake I made after is 
I saw him out of the car when I rolled into the garage. I yeah. should have went back to my trailer and got out of the car and taken my helmet off, but I rolled in right there. And I, as soon as I popped the window net down, I didn't have my helmet off. He started punching me in the helmet. And I just read, you know, and I wanted to kill him. But he kept running behind this guy. Yeah, oh, right. last week, you know, you run too hard. You're too aggressive. You know, you should let us guys. And it was just, he was having a bad day. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Right? And now we're good. You know, we get along. That's great. But one time at Sears Point, I don't know what happened. We got behind because the yellow came out and we were held back. So we're in the back. So I'm, I'm digging at the end. And I thought Jeff Burton opened the door for me. But, you know, the way I saw it was he closed the door, I hit him and wrecked him. Yep. And after the race, he came in our hauler, and he was yelling at me, and I just I couldn't take it. I got mad at him. I'll kick your ass, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought he was in the dead wrong. But when I went home and watched the replay, I'm like, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I was dead wrong. That was my fault. Oh, man. And I called him, but he didn't want to hear it. Right, and, right, right. And I, I remember the next week there was like a tested indie, and at registration we're in line together. That's how it works. He didn't want to hear it. Yeah. And then the next few NASCAR races I did in the in the qualifying line, we were right there, right there. <laughs> it's it, was, a, it was really ugly. For like, a while. We joke about that on the broadcast. Yeah. If you wreck somebody, you're going to be in the ride around truck the next week. Exactly. That's how it's That's always going to work. <laughs> that is. That is how it's always going to work. But I wasn't proud work. of that, and I was in the wrong. So. Another story. What's the deal behind this one? I want to know. Did you not have your suit or what? Dale Jr. says he goes to VIR. You're there testing. That I think I guess it would be the MB2 car, the Army car, jeans and a T-shirt all day. I mean, was that the like? What's the story behind the jeans and the T-shirt? They lost my luggage. <laughs> I had no luggage. So whose helmet did you wear? Uh, I borrowed one from the track. Yeah, <laughs> and just wore it. That is outstanding. Yeah. I mean, one time I broke my arm in the 24 Hours of Daytona, both bones. And the next day, I got a cast up to my shoulder. And I had a Callaway test that, that week in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And I didn't want to tell him. I'm like, shit, I can drive. And oh, a T-shirt, yeah. I can shift. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Right. So I just showed up with the broken arm. <laughs> just, you did, I remember Ari Leindyke, we were sharing the track with Ari Leindyke, his IndyCar team. He flies in a helicopter. Yeah, right. And he sees me walking around with a T-shirt and his cast on. And when I started driving, he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Callaway's broken. Callaway's, you can't drive. I, go, I can drive this thing one hand. No problem. <laughs> so they couldn't get another driver. They were already there. Yeah, so you, you had them in the box. I didn't want to lose then. my ride. Yeah, yeah right, I had right. boxed in. Don't let my son hear this. So yeah. I got dad of the year. Um, last year, my son learns, runs little mini outlaws. He gets in a wreck, pops his elbow off the motor. And, you know, I'm a dad. I'm a racing dad, which I'm not a good racing dad. I go up. We pull the rubber rail. I'm like, you okay? My elbow hurts, but I'm fine. We push him off. Proud dad moment. He drives from, like, 12th to 2nd. We run 2nd. Great. Next day, my wife takes me to the doctor. The x-ray had broken elbow. Dad of the year move. I send him back out there. Yeah, you're toughening him up. So then he tells his mom. She goes, well, how'd you drive? One-handed. I'm like, oh, don't tell her that. Like, it was hurt so bad. So, oh, gosh, now that he hears you've done it, I'm definitely am in big <laughs> trouble. Big trouble for sure. All right, so I asked you in sports cars, let's stop cup racing. What's the one cup race you want back? Man. Or stock car. We'll say stock car. There's a few. I mean, I remember one time at Sears Point, we had the fastest car. I remember Tony, Jeff Gorin had transmission troubles. Oh, uh, I remember. I changed, uh, I changed either the transmission right. or the rear gear. And Broke we were, coming down the hill. And we were really fast that day, and, and we lost an engine. Oh. I'm like, oh, that could have been our day. Right. You know, then there was a Watkins Glen where we made our last pit stop. You know, Jeff had a pit, and we were the fast, fast car. And Robbie Gordon hooked my rear bumper when I passed him going down the back straightaway. That was one. And then we had another time at the Glen where we were really fast, and, and uh, 
and blew a motor near the end. You know, and then in 2000 with Jimmy Spencer put a car together and we were fastest both practice sessions, top of the board, I think 99 or 2000, and uh, qualifying got rained out. So oh, missed the show. Missed the show, went home. It's a new so, NASCAR. I mean, yeah. you know, now we have 37, 38 cars, but right. back then you'd go home. you go home, yeah. Do you think all those years what, – what, when you ran in a NASCAR world as a non-NASCAR guy, do you think they drove you different, harder, rougher? Did they respect like, – like, you know, was it different? Or in your mind, when you get in there, is it all drivers and helmets? What I liked about it compared to sports cars is it was all drivers and helmets, and you settled your own score. There was no – you know, Ims is stepping in and saying, oh, you bumped the guy in the bumper. I mean, yeah, right, right, you, got right. beat, you got somebody beat you up. I, you know, I remember my first NASCAR race. Uh, uh, man, who was the guy? Bobby Hamilton Jr. Okay, Bob, no, yeah. Bobby Hamilton Sr. Bobby Hamilton Sr. You know, I, I started, I qualified fifth. You know, Jimmy Spencer started last. We made a pit stop, you know, and I was last when I got in lap nine. Got all the way to 10th, spun out on my own in turn one, went all the way to the back. You got all the way one. up to 10th, and when I passed Bobby Hamilton, he hooked me and spun me. And, man, I was mad. You know, I think I got back to, like, 20th. But the next two weeks later, I was doing a truck race at Martinsville with Ernie Irving, and he was in front of me, and I'm like, I mean, I ruined my race by wrecking him. You know, I'm just like, I'm not going to take that crap. Yeah, right, you know, I gotta, right. I got to draw the line. And I remember Ernie was mad at me. The guys at 23 car, they were all cheering me on. Yeah, right. I remember after the race, he started walking over to me, and I'm like, He's going to kick my ass. No way I'm going to beat this guy. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll pretend like I'm going to fight him. Yeah, right, right. I hope he doesn't swing. <laughs> and, and he's like, what was that all about? I go, that's for Watkins Glen. And I think he respected that. Like instantly he was like, like, oh, boy. Yeah. He like, said, okay, fair enough. We're even. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That was pretty cool. So I've asked a few drivers this. I'm going to go through some quick hitters real quick. Some are going to make sense. Some aren't. So real quick, quick answers. If you weren't a race car driver, you would be what in your adult life? I guess I could say car salesman. Hey, you that's could what do I it now. now. Okay, that's fair. Uh, simple question, your go-to drink. Everybody has one. Iced tea. Iced tea. All right. Well, I like that. That's simple enough. How about this? Would you ever be a race steward? We've seen former race car drivers go into IndyCar. Formula One has them. If you were ever called, Boris, we want you to referee racing. Would you do it? No. No, because you just want no interest. Ah, no interest. I, I like racing. I like driving yep. race. Like today is the first NASCAR race road course race I've been to as a spectator. I'm like, man, it's loud. <laughs> I didn't realize it was just loud. It's not right. loud in the car, but right. nah, I don't think I would. I, I just I love the driving part of it. Favorite track in the U.S., I'm guessing you're going to say Watkins Glen. You've talked about it. And Nürburgring across the pond as well. Yep. And Daytona. I was like, say Oval, you'd go Daytona? That plate racing was really fun for me. So it's great. Um, just to recap, dealerships, what name of them? Uh, Boris said BMW Murrieta okay. and then Volkswagen of Murrieta. Man, I don't, I'm glad you're on the West Coast. My wife, she'd be calling, hearing this and wanting to deliver a 7 Series over. I could do it. I know. Don't I'll tell do Rick. Yeah. You're like this. Every time I see uh, – so, of course, I get my cars from Mr. H. I've, I've known him forever. Every time Felix sees me. You can't drive that. Sees my wife. You can't be in that. Let me send your Mercedes. That's what he always tells me. I'm like, Felix, stay away because I know how you'll be. You'll deliver one, and then you'll send me the bill. So you right. can't do that. Go-kart tracks. Yeah, K1 Speed, we have 34 go-kart tracks around the country. And then you said you had some international? Where are the international? We started selling franchises, and we opened one in Beijing, China, Seoul, South Korea, Paris, France, two in Mexico, two in Canada, Italy. Well, if you're ever going yeah. on a publicity tour, take me with you. Yeah. I would love to do it. It would be a great time. Um, we've covered all the sports, however. We've covered all the NASCARs. Currently, what you're doing right now, 
what's the one thing you have you haven't driven that you want to? You said you want to drive a Formula One car. Have you ever like open wheel? What, what's the dream car you haven't drove? An open wheel car. I mean, I would love to drive an Indy car or a Formula One car. Physically, it's probably impossible because I'm a little big. But I would love. Yeah, and to how try tall it. are you? Six four, but I'm long in the legs. Ah, yeah, that's a tough so, problem. Yeah, those are those are short guy things. Unbelievable. How about uh, this? Is the other one I asked the race car driver. What's the? I don't want to say biggest hit. What's the wreck that that you remember the most? The wreck that really got your attention? Yeah, I mean, over the 30 years, I've had 11 concussions, but I had one with a skull fracture when I was testing a Panos front engine prototype car. You know, 200 mile an hour car. Yeah, right. And it broke a half shaft. Oh. And backed into a concrete bridge embutment. It was a 68 G impact. So that Where was, was a, this? That was at Road Atlanta. That, that, Road that, Atlanta. You take the big hits at Road Atlanta. That was a big one. Yeah, that was my biggest. And that was crazy. Listen, I have uh, the most respect for you to do what you had to do to come in and be a road course ringer, per se, to kind of have. I felt like you guys had the target. You and Ron Fellows, coming up here as a NASCAR guy, my goal was to prove that you guys couldn't be better than us, right? Like, like didn't matter who. Now, luckily, I had Jeff Gordon right. through the 2000s, so I had a pretty good head start on most people. He's pretty not too bad at the road courses, so it was a blast. Boris, I appreciate the time. Once again, we're here at Seneca Lodge, the base of the hill at Watkins Glen, here with Boris said, winners of Daytona, Nürburgring, first ever American in Nürburgring. Yep. That's pretty awesome. Uh, you got to listen to hear about that American flag. It sounds great. Uh, one at, the, at uh, Sebring, I'll get it out eventually. He's one of the trucks, one of the Xfinities. You wanted about everything. I appreciate your time, bud. Yeah, thanks. It was, it was a lot of great fun. time, man. I had a yep. blast. And as always, another episode of Latart on Location. Podcast available anywhere you get your podcast. Remember to sub- subscribe, rate, and review. Let us know what you think. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.